You're listening to podcast audio from Radiant Church, located in Bay City, Michigan. For more information on Radiant Church, you can check us out on www.radiantbc.com or follow us on social media at Radiant Bay City. Let's keep going. Today we're in part number 16. That's right, 16 in the book of Acts. It's a series called The Spirit Empowered Church. We're learning the discipline, and this is the discipline, okay? In, a, in an age of bumper sticker Christianity with cute slogans and great one-liners from, pe- from preachers on YouTube, we're learning how to go through the Bible one chapter at a time. Now, if you're here and you're new to the church, you're new to Christianity, or you're not new, you just, you just haven't been paying attention for the last 10 years, I get that as well. The book of Acts, listen, is found in the New Testament, and it's the story of the life of the early church. And let me just be clear in saying this, the church, our church, the big capital C church, listen, is really all about a group of imperfect people following and trusting a perfect God, right? And so in the book of Acts, what we see is that the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, the news is spreading and the church is growing, you guys. It's pretty Amazing. Now today, grab your smartphones, grab your Bibles, grab your dumb phones even, and we're going to go to Acts chapter 12. And if you don't have any Bible with you, we're going to have the verses behind me, so there's no excuse, okay? We got to have the Word of God in church, so there's no excuse for you not to follow along. But here's what we're going to do first. We're going to pray. And let me just say this this morning. Um, The good news, again, more good news, is that God wants to speak to you individually. He wants to speak to you in a very personal way. No matter where you're coming from this morning, whether you're here and you're a skeptic, you're cynic, whether your grandparents dragged you in the door this morning and you're here because of that, whether you've been a believer for 30 years, it doesn't matter where you're at. I promise you, God has a desire to speak to you personally. Personally. Now, how do you hear that? You have to humble yourself. You cannot be the only voice that you listen to. Oh, snap, that was good. Okay. You cannot be your own authority. You have to humble yourself, lay down your pride, and listen. So let's pray. Father in heaven, we love you, and we lay down our lives right now to you, God. And uh, we say, speak, Holy Spirit. We do want to hear you speak, and we know that you speak through your word. So God, would you speak to us uh, in a very real and personal way? Come, Holy Spirit, and inhabit the praises of your people. The Lord is in this place. So just sing that line, man, such a good line. The Lord is in this place. So soften our hardened hearts and give us ears to hear, God, and uh, give us a sharp mind that is receptive to what you want to say and communicate to your body today. Give us the now word, the rhema word, God, that we might hold on to it, uh, and apply it to our lives, into our hearts as well. We thank you for this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. All right, Acts chapter 12. We're not going to waste any time. We're going to get right into it. We're going to look at the first six verses. I'll pause after that and give you a lot of context. This is a great story, you guys. Peter, once again, is rescued from prison by an angel. Okay, we're going to talk about angels today a little bit. We're going to talk about the sovereignty of God. We're going to be talking about some theology. It's going to be, there's a lot going on in this message. So hang on because we're covering the entire chapter. Here's what it says. Verse number one, Luke is our writer. He says, it was about this time that King Herod, we're going to talk about who is King Herod. We'll talk about that that in a moment. King Herod um, arrested some who belonged to the church intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with a sword. When he saw that this was met with approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. And this happened during the festival of unleavened bread. In other words, this is the Passover festival that the Jewish people celebrated. They started celebrating this in the book of Exodus when when the, the angel of the Lord passed over their homes uh, because they had put blood, the blood of the lamb over their doorpost. This whole festival started for that reason, okay? So uh, this happened during the festival of unleavened bread. 
after arresting him, um, he put him in prison, handed him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each, 16 guards, okay? Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. We'll talk all about this here in just a moment. Let's talk about Herod for just a moment. Who is Herod right now? Because Herod comes among a a big family of Herods. He's not the first Herod. This is the Herodian family. This is Herod Agrippa I, to be very precise. Now, Herod Agrippa I was a wicked dude, but he was not as bad as his granddaddy. Grandpa Herod was even more wicked. He was known as Herod the Great. You might recognize that name because Herod the Great was in Matthew chapter 2. Herod the Great ordered all of the young boys under the age of two, guess what, to be killed. Why? Because he saw King Jesus as a threat to his kingship, so he wanted all the boys eliminated because he wanted Jesus eliminated. Herod the Great was such a bad dude. He was so wicked, listen, that he killed his own son, Agrippa's father. Now That's messed up, right? Now, Herod Agrippa was also the nephew to Herod Antipas. Stay with me here, because I'm bringing this this historical context. You need to know this. This helps. Herod Antipas was the one who beheaded John the Baptist. You guys remember that? Bring me John, John's head on a platter, anybody, right? Herod Antipas was responsible for that. So the Herodian family, listen, they were a scheming and murderous family. And the Jewish people of that day despised them. No surprise there, right? No surprise there. Herod Agrippa, he was not Jewish, but check this out. He was placed in power by a Roman emperor, the Roman emperor Claudius. So what does Herod Agrippa do? Well, he takes James and he arrests him. And what does he do? He has him killed. Specifically, he's beheaded. Now, the Jews who did not like Christianity were like, yeah, that's awesome. Like, yeah, more blood, more blood, more blood, right? They're like really excited about this. So Herod Agrippa sees this as a political opportunity. He wants to leverage this for his good. So what does he do? He goes and he arrests Peter as well. He has the same intention of killing Peter. Why? Because he knows that the Jewish people who hate Christianity It will please them. Remember, he's using this as a political opportunity, okay? Now, he won't kill Peter during Passover. Why not? Because that's a big no-no for the Jewish people. There will be too much of a raucous, okay? Too much controversy. So what's he going to do? He's going to wait until after Passover. And then guess what? Off with Peter's head, right? Peter's going to also be executed, okay? Now, Check this out. James, the one who was beheaded, the brother of John. You guys, right, you guys might remember these two brothers in the Gospels. They had a really cool nickname. They had nicknames that you give wrestlers, like in WWE, you know what I mean, right? Jesus called them this, the Sons of Thunder. Now announcing in the corner, the Sons of Thunder, right? I mean, you... Just these guys, they they were kind of boneheads, knuckleheads. They once asked Jesus, hey, Jesus, you want us to command lightning down, like fire down from heaven? Like, we'll take care of these dudes if you want us to do that, right? Jesus was like, chill, just take it easy, right? They were called the sons of thunder. In fact, these two brothers, they actually had the nerve to say to Jesus, Jesus, we want you to do whatever it is we ask you to do. And Jesus says, come at me. So they said this, we want you to sit us at your right and at your left when you come into the kingdom. Jesus says, fair enough. Let me ask you a question. Can you drink the cup that I'm about to drink of? And this is the cup of what? Suffering. They said, bring it on, Jesus. We can drink of that cup. Jesus says, indeed, you will drink of that cup. So what do we see happen here in Acts chapter 12? We see, check this out, that prophetic word from Jesus now coming partially 
to pass. James drank the cup of suffering. He was beheaded. He was killed because of his faith in Jesus Christ. At this point, there is this political schism right now in Judea. Republicans on the right, right? The leftists on the left, okay? Not really, but sort of, okay? You had the Jewish people who were becoming converted. They were becoming Christians. You had the other Jewish people who hated Christianity. They did not like what was happening, okay? They wanted it snuffed out. So what you have in the region is this political divide, right? And this is why, again, Herod says, I'm going to grab Peter, and I'm going to kill him in just a couple of days as well. Now, check this out. This is Peter's, count it, third time in prison. Peter has some experience here, okay? (laughs) He's been arrested just a few times. He knows what persecution is like. In fact, in Acts chapter 5, Peter was rescued by an angel as well. And we're about to see that happen one more time. Why does Herod have 16 guards for Peter? Isn't that a bit excessive? I mean, literally, Peter is chained to two dudes, and then two other guys are watching at the door, and there's four guys for every single watch. Why 16 guys? Come on, Herod. Well, if you haven't noticed, Christians become just a bit slippery when they're arrested or killed, right? They don't stay in the places that they're supposed to stay in, even when they are killed. Jesus, right? So Herod's like, okay, I know what happened to him last time. He's not getting away this time. You're getting chained to two soldiers. Two soldiers will be at the door. Peter, you are not getting away. So Herod thinks. I love verse number five. Verse number five says this. Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. I want you to look at the grammar behind that. I was trained grammatically in seminary. And grammatically, if you look at that verse, verse number five, there is a bit of a contrast that Luke wants us to see. On one hand, listen, Luke is trying to say, here's what's happening in the natural. Here's what's happening in sort of general circumstances. On the other hand, here's how God will move supernaturally. God will move in the prayers of his people. That's why he says, Peter was kept in prison But the church was earnestly praying for him. There's something Luke is doing here. He's setting up a bit of a contrast. He's saying this is how the world operates, but this is how Christians, believers operate. They have a weapon, and it's known as praying. And so this morning, what I want to do is we look at Acts 12. Again, we're going to go through the whole chapter, so hang with me. You need this, okay? You need this, okay? I want to extract, I'm going to pull three truths, theological and practical truths that we're going to take, and we're just going to apply them to our lives here in 2022 at Radiant Church. The first of those truths that we're going to pull from the text, this is called exegesis, actually. We're going to pull it from the text is number one. It's this, God works in and through the prayers of his people, right? Now, I know what you're thinking. This is really obvious. I'm going to go ahead and go home and watch some other preacher on YouTube today. I want more. Give me more. It is obvious. It's very obvious. But let me just say this. We need reminding of this. We need reminding, okay? Listen, and I want to just tell you today that the primary purpose of prayer is actually not to get stuff from God. The primary purpose of prayer is not to get stuff from God. Did you know You may have not known this. The primary purpose of prayer is to know God. The primary purpose of prayer is that you might know him, that you might have this real relationship, this this personal relationship with God through Jesus. That truly is the purpose of prayer. Now, because we have relationship with God through Jesus, that's why we can ask That's why we can ask anything that we want to ask. Jesus says it. Jesus makes it very abundantly clear. He says this in the Gospel of Matthew. He says, ask, right, and you will receive, right? Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open for you. A-S-K. Ask. Ask. Seek. Knock. Jesus makes it abundantly 
clear that we can come to him. I love what the Puritan preacher Thomas Watson said. He said this, the angel fetched Peter out of prison, but it was prayer that fetched the angel. The angel fetched Peter out of prison, but what made it happen? It was the prayers of God's people. The prayers of God's people. Listen, I don't think the problem, I don't think our problem is knowing that God operates and moves through prayer. I don't think that's any of our problems. I think theologically we all understand that. And I think most of us, I think most of us, maybe not all of us, but most of us, I think, would agree with that. That sounds right. God moves through prayer. I've heard that before. I'm not a Christian. Maybe you would say you're not a Christian. You're not a believer. And you're welcome here. We love you. Uh, But you would say, yeah, I've heard that before. I grew up in church. Uh, so I have heard that before, right? I don't think that's our problem. I think our problem actually is the praying part. <laughs> okay? It's the praying part. Did you know this, that God won't answer 100% of the prayers that you don't pray? It's true. God won't answer 100% of the prayers that you don't pray. Right? You have not because you ask not. Sometimes we think, well, God's just going to do it anyways. No, he, he's, he's actually not, no. He may, but he may not because you're not asking him. Why? Why does he want you to pray? Because he wants fellowship. He wants community. He wants a relationship with you. So what what does he do? He commands us to pray. You see, the church in that moment, they lost James. And that was very, very sad. And they were about to lose Peter. They thought they were going to lose Peter. James, John, and Peter, these are the very apostles of the church. This is the foundation of the church. Like, they cannot lose these guys. So they're very, very worried. Now, I love this because the church doesn't give up. The church doesn't give in. And they had every opportunity to do that. They could have went into mourning and said, we're done. This is enough. Enough's enough. We can't take it anymore. Nothing wrong with mourning. That's healthy and that is good and you should do that. But I love in Acts chapter 12 that mourning doesn't stop the church from praying. They still have prayer meetings. They still gather together and they're like, man, we're going to go to the Lord God, would you please set free Peter? Lord, we need you. God, we lost James and we miss him. But God, would you, would you move on behalf of Peter? Would you rescue? Would you save? God, we ask that you'd send angels. God, would you move? Right? And they're, they're praying together. They're walking around. And they're praying. This was before like great worship leaders with acoustic guitars, right? And skinny jeans. This is all be- before any of that. They didn't need any of that. They just gathered together. No iPods, no radios, right? No headsets. They just gathered together for the sole purpose of prayer. That's it, right? That's it. That's amazing, right? That's amazing. They didn't give up. They didn't give in. Because why? Because they knew that they were not helpless, that they had a weapon, and the weapon was called prayer. Paul, the apostle Paul says this in 1 Corinthians, nope, I lied, 2 Corinthians 10.4. The weapons that we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, They have divine power to what? To demolish, to tear apart, to literally destroy what? Strongholds. That is, you need to be reminded of that, that your your weapon is prayer and that it has power to demolish strongholds. How many of you know there's some strongholds in Bay City, right? Amen? There's some strongholds in our city. There's a stronghold of addiction in our city. There's a stronghold of sexual perversion in our city. There's a stronghold of alcoholism in our city. There's a stronghold of, I don't even know, I I can't even pronounce the other drugs, okay, because I'm I'm just, I don't don't know. Like, there's other strongholds in our city. And guess what? We need prayer meetings to break strongholds, right? That's, that's, That's why we, so when we gather for our prayer meetings, I'm not gathering because we have a cool band and we have great music and we have lights. We're, we're gathering so we can pray. That's why, we, that's why we gather, right? That's why we do that, right? That's why we do that. Now, it's been said that the prayer meeting is not popular, right? It's true. It's not popular. A lot of people don't attend. But our church, we do get a good number of people that do attend prayer meetings. It's pretty sweet, right? It's pretty amazing, right? But generally speaking, the joke around pastors is like, hey, did you have a prayer meeting? Yeah, five people showed up. That's amazing. Wow. That's usually what happens, five people. And it's usually like the four weird people that show up, right? Like, no offense to all of you, but that's just what happens in church world, right? Very small amount of people show up. Claire's laughing. All right. Prayer, listen, 
was what, what, was what was sustaining Peter. This was the reason he was able to sleep the night before maybe he was going to be executed. This is the same Peter who says this, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Peter wrote that. And I love this. You know why? Because Peter, for Peter, this is not a cliche Christianese bumper sticker of a saying. For Peter, he lived this out. He lived it out. I wonder if Peter, when he was writing this line, if he remembered back when he was in prison, the several times he was in prison, right? And he thought to himself, man, here's what I've done. Cast all of my cares onto Jesus because he cares for me. He moves in and through prayer. And so this morning, I want to begin by just saying to you and reminding the body of Christ that prayer is not just a spiritual discipline, that prayer for the believer is a lifeline. Prayer is not just a spiritual discipline, it's a lifeline for the believer. And when you cannot pray for yourselves, you need other people to pray for you. What do I mean by that? I mean this. I mean that sometimes life gets so overwhelming that you neither have the desire nor the energy to pray. Have you ever been there, anybody? Few people? Just a few people, good. Most of us live perfect lives. That's amazing, awesome. But for the ones who are honest this morning, listen, there are come moments in our lives that are so difficult that we have no desire and no energy to pray. We don't even want to pray. So what do we do then? We ask for it. That's right. We ask who? The church to pray for us. Who's the church? Other believers. So the question becomes for you this morning is who prays for you? Who do you have to pray for you in hard and difficult moments? Who's in your contacts? If I said, get your iPhones out or whatever, smartphones, dumb phones, weird phones, whatever you have, and look in your contacts, do you have anybody in your contacts who will pray for you? If the answer is no, then I want you to find that person as soon as possible. And I want you to find that person within the local church. Don't find it online. I know that's, that's nice and that's helpful. Don't find it in a chat room. Don't find it in Elevation Church's chat room because you think they're huge and glorious and they're amazing. Find it in the local church with people who know you, with the shepherd who knows you. Find it in the local church, okay? Find it with your posse, with your crew, with your tribe. I'm not against other, like, churches, you know, YouTube church and all that, and I'm not against online church because we do online church as well, but find it within your tribe is what I'm trying to tell you. Find it within your people, Right? If you don't have that person today, we can pray for you today. And we will. And we will. Listen, the church prayed for Peter, and the church can pray for you as well. Okay? The church prayed for Peter. The church will pray for you as well. Let's go back in our story, verse number seven. Let's keep going. It gets better. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side. I think this is hilarious. This is a funny story. Peter is so out of it, the angel's like, wake up, right? Struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Maybe it was like an elbow. Maybe it was more like, like people's elbow. Struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrist. This is a miracle. This is amazing. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals, and Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. Isn't that amazing? Peter was so out of it, you guys. The angel has to strike him. And then did you notice that the angel is giving him step-by-step instructions? He's like, put on your sandals, put on your tunic, put on whatever, put this on. Come on, get up, clothes. Peter, follow me. Peter's like, right? He's so out of it, uh, and then he finally realizes afterwards that the Lord had set him free, and the Lord had used an angel to do that. Let me just take a few moments, because I want to just talk about angels for just a moment. This will not be a deep theology of, of angels, because that would take three hours or four hours to do that, okay? You can read Michael Heiser's book called Angels. It's quite theological, and it might be some of your, over some of your heads, but it is very, very um, technical, and um, I think you'd find a lot of good out of that. Anyhow, let's give the quick synapses of something like that, though. Let's talk about angels. Angels in the Greek is the word angelos, angelos, and it literally means a messenger, a messenger. So here's our definition. Angels are created, they're created by God, created spiritual beings who are messengers of God 
They worship God and they serve God's people. Messengers, they're spiritual beings. They worship God and they serve God's people. They carry out the mission of God, by the way, okay? Now, here's the thing about angels. They do not have physical bodies. They do not have, why? Because I just told you they're spiritual beings. They do not have physical bodies. Therefore, they are genderless in the Bible, okay? But because they're spiritual beings, here's what happens. In the Bible, every time they are depicted, they are depicted as male, okay? But they're not physical. But they are depicted as male in the Scripture, okay? Now, lots of people think that angels have wings, that all angels have wings, but that's not actually in the Bible. The only type of angels that have wings are the cherubim and the seraphim, okay? Those are the ones who have wings, okay? Let me also clear something else uh, at the same time. People, let me be very clear, people do not become angels when they die, okay? I hope that didn't dash too many of your hopes, okay? But people do not become angels when they die. And I understand the sentiment. I understand that it may be, uh, you know, sentimental, and it may make you feel warm and fuzzy. Hey, my Uncle Joe died. He's an angel. He's watching over me now. However, we just don't see that in the Bible. They're created beings, okay? You're not becoming an angel, right? You're, it's, you're, you don't become like a chubby baby, a fat baby in a diaper with wings, okay? That's not what the Bible teaches about, okay? So people do not become angels when they die. Finally, listen, I want to remind you that we don't pray to angels, okay? We don't pray to angels, okay? We've got a lot of weird theology in Bay City, okay? I love Bay City, but we, we also have a lot of weird theology, Right? And I've heard people say, I pray to my angel, and he comes to me, and he's my best buddy, and we hang out, and we high-five, and all that stuff. I'm like, okay, yeah, um, okay. So we don't pray to angels. <laughs> Who do we pray to? God, right. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay? We pray to our Heavenly Father, through Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit, okay? So we don't pray to angels. What happens when an angel appears to a person in the Bible and the person bows down to him? If you've read your Bible, you know this, that every time that happens, the angel says, get up. I'm just a servant, just like you are. Get up. Do not worship me. So we don't worship Bibles. Bibles. We don't don't worship Bibles, actually. We worship God. We don't worship angels. Uh, We don't pray to them. We pray to our Heavenly Father, through Jesus, by the power of the Spirit, okay? Let's keep going. Verse number 12. When this had dawned on him, uh, Peter, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark. This is John Mark. It gets pretty confusing. I I get that. Where many people had gathered and were what? Were praying. So Peter knocked at the outer entrance, and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed um, that she ran back without opening it. And she exclaimed, Peter is at the door. Can you imagine Peter? Peter's like, uh, you, you, you want to let me in here? Like, right. And so they don't believe it. Look at verse number 15. You're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said this, it must be his angel. Now, why would they say that? Well, early Jewish believers this was, not, this was not like a biblical belief, but this was like early Jewish myth. They had a belief that when you died, you did have an angel, and that angel looked just like you. That was carried over into, I believe, the early church, okay, into maybe the, the second century. And so what they believe is that Peter had died, that he was executed perhaps by Herod, of course, and that this was Peter's angel, and maybe the angel was going to talk to them or give them a message, Okay. So they say, you're out of your mind. It must be his angel. But Peter kept knocking. So Peter's just like, doo, 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 doo. hello, hello, it's me, right? Peter kept knocking. And when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. But Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet, okay, and describe how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Because he's like, shh, keep it down, you guys, keep it down, right? Tell James, not, not, not James, the one who was beheaded, because that would be impossible. This is James, the half-brother of Jesus now. Tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this, he said. And then he left for another place. 
In the morning, there was no small commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. I bet, right? I bet. Sixteen soldiers were tripping out, right? Especially the ones who were chained to Peter. After Herod had a thorough search made for him and did not find him, what did he do? He cross-examined the guards and he ordered that they may be executed. Not a good day for those soldiers. Then Herod went, to, went from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there. Let me say this quickly. Roman justice in that day um, for guards, required guards whose prisoners had escaped from prison, it required them that they would be levied the same judgment that was levied on those who escaped. So Peter was going to be executed. Well, he escaped. So what happens to the guards? They're executed, right? Now, Herod didn't have to do this because why? Well, he wasn't a Roman, like he really wasn't, um, yeah, he wasn't a Roman governor. He was, he was a Jewish king, okay? Or he, was, he was a Jewish king, not a Roman governor, okay? He could have shown some clemency, but this was not his nature, and Luke has been reminding, uh, reminding us of this fact, okay? So, so Herod doesn't practice any kindness here. Verse number 20, it says this. He had been quarreling, this is Herod, with the people of Tyre and Sidon, They now joined together and sought an audience with him. Now, hang with me, church, okay? It gets good. After securing the support of Blastus, a trusted personal servant of the king, they asked for for peace, but they had depended on the king's country for their food supply. There's this famine going on in the region, and they're trying to get Herod's ear. They're trying to go before him. On the point of day, Herod, wearing wearing his royal robes, sat on his throne, and he delivered a public address to the people. They shouted, this is the voice of a God, not a man. Immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down, and he was eaten by worms and died. Well, there's that, right? So this is really interesting, and the commentaries that I read referred to Josephus. So check this out. Josephus is a historical, a Jewish historian. Now, Josephus records it slightly different, but I think they're both true here, okay? Josephus reports that Herod was actually carried to the palace. He died at the age of 54 years old. Here's what Josephus says. He says that after five days of stomach pain caused by the worms, Herod died. Now, historians also say this, that death from bowel diseases and worms were thought to be among the most horrible forms of death. So I think the angel of the Lord struck him down, but then he was carried out. And then what does God make Herod go through? Suffering. Yeah. He makes him suffer. Pretty interesting. In one instance, an angel is rescuing the man of God. In the other instance, the angel is killing the evil man. So God gets his justice. God gets his justice. 24, we finally, we get through our passage. And I love the way that Luke ends this. But the word of God continued, continued to spread and flourish. The word of God continued to spread and flourish. I got two more points, so hang with me. There's, we read the whole story. Now we've got some context. Let's go back in the story because I want to extract two more things that are really important, I think, okay? Number one, or number two, sorry. It's this, God watches over his church, and he carries out his plans, even in the face of immediate trouble, okay? I want you to read this again. God watches over his church and carries out his plans, even in the face of immediate trouble, okay? God watches over his church. Now, for a few minutes, I want to pause from Acts, and I'm going to take you to Matthew 16. We won't have the verse, but I'll, you can look at it later if you'd like. I want you to stay with me because I have an illustration, and you'll understand where I'm going. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus says to Peter, which is, of course, a part of our story, upon this rock, I will build my church, right? And the gates of hell, the gates of Hades will not prevail. 
Now, if you look at the context of Matthew 16, they are in where? Caesarea Philippi. Caesarea Philippi. Scholars believe that the reason why Jesus took them, the disciples, to Caesarea Philippi was because that was a region that was controlled. It was controlled by Romans. It was a Roman territory. And in that region was the temple of Pan. Pan, short for panic. Okay? And in the temple of Pan, uh, there was this great giant hole in the ground. And in that hole, the historian Josephus records that when one looked down that hole, you could not measure how deep the pit actually was. Now, pagans in that day would actually sacrifice children, and then they would drop them into this never-ending pit. In fact, the Temple of Pan in that region was known to be the connection to Hades. It was a very dark place. So Jesus, catch me, Jesus takes his disciples to one of the darkest places in the region, the Temple of Pan. And then he looks at Peter and he says, on this rock, the rock that I am the Messiah, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail, right? So let's think about this for a moment. What are gates? Well, gates are used for what? For keeping people out. Have you ever driven by a gated community, one that you could not afford to live in, right? You just drove by, right? Because they were not made for people like you, right? <laughs> it's like, the reason why you can't get in because you can't afford to live in that house, right? And so when I was in Arizona, um, a, lot of, a lot of wealth. It was just normal for me to drive by gated communities. They were just very, very expensive house, like $700,000 to $1 million homes. And so I remember going to a Super Bowl party at one of these homes, and uh, it was a gated community. Beautiful home. Oh, my goodness, right? And so a gated community, the gates want to keep you out. It's a defense mechanism for unwanted guests, okay? Here's why I'm saying this. We often think that the church is simply playing defense, that if we just bury our heads and hope for the best, things will just go well eventually. We'll get through it. We'll survive. Just blah, right? Just put your head down in the sand, blah, 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 and we'll get through this, right? But that's not what Jesus is showing his disciples in Matthew chapter 16. Jesus is actually showing them that the church is going to be established and built in the middle of what? A hellish world. Okay? The church doesn't have gates. Hell has gates, right? Hell has gates. And what is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying this, that we're not just on the defensive, we're actually on the offensive and that the gates of hell will not stop the church from literally snatching people out of darkness and bringing them into light. That's what he's saying there. The gates of hell. We think that if we just bury our heads in the sand, we'll be okay. When Jesus says, no, I'm establishing the church in the middle of a hellish world, and it'll continue to thrive and grow. It doesn't matter what Putin does. It doesn't matter what nuclear arms he has at his disposal. It doesn't matter what our president does, blah, 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 right? Those things do matter, and I get it. We should care. We should. But listen, ultimately, God takes care of his church. God preserves his church, right? God preserves his church. Now, in Matthew chapter 24, Jesus says, many will fall away because many's hearts will grow cold because of the increase of wickedness in the world. That will happen. I've already seen it happen. People fall away, right? People get offended, right? And they fall away from the church, fall away from the faith, right? That's happening. It's been happening. So we should, like, we should take heed. That's happening in the church. But listen, the word of God will continue to spread and flourish. The word of God will continue to spread and flourish. And this radiant church, this thing right here, listen, I got vision for years. This thing's going to grow. This thing's going to grow, right? This church is going to grow. Listen, it's going to grow, all right? It's going to happen. I know with every conviction in my heart, every thread of my being says it's going to grow. It's going to thrive. It doesn't matter what the economy does. It doesn't matter what the president does. It doesn't matter. Listen, it's going to throw. It's going to grow. It's going to thrive, right? Why? Why do I know this? Why do I know this? Why so much confidence? Because, listen, listen, y'all, Acts 12. That's why Acts 12. God takes care of his church. Some of you guys won't be a part of that, unfortunately, because you might fall away. And, and I hate to be the, the bearer of bad news, but some, some of y'all won't even come to church. So listen, 
you're already, you're, you are, it's already against you. You have to know that. You have to know that, right? You can't even make it to church barely. So listen, the words of Jesus are true. Should we be concerned about the affairs of the world? Yes, we should be concerned. Should we be scared? No. Okay? God watches over his church, and he will carry out his plans. He has the final say. Let's keep going. I'm getting pumped up. Number three, God is sovereign in the life and the death of his servants and his enemies. We don't know. Did you realize this? Have you ever asked this question? Why is James killed and Peter is rescued? What the heck? Why couldn't God just rescue James as well? Well, guess what? I don't have the answer. And guess what? It wasn't my choice. It was his. God's sovereign over his creation, over his people. God chooses to allow James to be beheaded and then Peter to be rescued here. I don't understand it, but God is sovereign over his Creation. In one moment, the angel rescues. The next moment, the angel kills. In 2015, my wife and I, we lost a dear friend. His name was Kirk DeHaan. I used to work with Kirk DeHaan, and Kirk was an amazing man. He was about 55, 56 years old, and Kirk was a, um, he was faithful to his wife. He was an incredible dad. Um, he was, he served the church, um, he loved reading C.S. Lewis, and we would talk about what book we, books we were reading, and he could build anything with his hands from the ground up, and, and Kirk was just a good dude. And one day, he had a heart attack while driving, and he was gone. And the whole Calvary family, we were shocked. We were just, we burst in tears. I mean, it was just like, What? And, we, and, and so many of us, even today, we said, why, Lord, why? Why, 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 Kirk? He was a good dude. Like, why take that other guy out, that, that other evil dude? Take him out, right? I, I, really, Kirk? What, him? Are you kidding me? We don't, we, don't, we don't know the answers to that. Listen, and here's the thing, you guys. God doesn't owe us an explanation of why these things happen either. This is really problematic for us because guess what? We always want answers. <laughs> this is, we always want answers, don't we? But in some way and somehow we need to trust God. We still trust God that he's good and that he's sovereign. And, and, and don't we see that in Acts 12? James, James had to be good. He had to be a good guy too. I mean, what did he do to deserve this? I don't think anything. It's the sovereignty of God. One servant is killed. The other servant is set free by an angel. Why, God. Well, I can't give you those answers. God doesn't have to explain that to us. He may tell us in heaven. He may not, though. He may just say, that's, that's for me and the, right, the, the, the heavenly council. That's it. Here's three things that we can learn quickly, though, in the midst of our suffering, in the midst of our turmoil, in the midst of hardships. Number one, first, our suffering, uh, in our suffering, God is with us. He's with us, right? So listen, check this out. God identifies with us when we suffer. Why? Because he suffered as well. Can you imagine if our God never suffered? Can you imagine praying to a God that has no idea what you're going through? Why would you ever pray to that God? Why would you want to have fellowship with that God if he never understood your plight, your pain, your sorrow, your heartache, your depression, your anxiety, the, the, your heart being ripped out of your soul, right? The way that person abused you, whatever it is, whatever it is, how, how terrible would it be if God just said, I don't understand what you're going through. I don't, I don't get that. But no, 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 he does. Because he identifies with us because he suffered himself. Second, listen, we know that because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have a heavenly hope, right? God in Christ will return to the earth. He'll bring his kingdom in its fullness here. Its kingdom has come and it's coming, right? Both at the same time. And he will make all things new. And he will wipe every tear from our eyes. Because why? Because we have a hope that goes beyond the grave, right? So we know that. We have a hope that goes beyond the grave. And then finally, number three, listen, we can trust. And I know this doesn't make, maybe make you feel any better. I, I, I get that. I, I really do. But we can trust that our suffering is meaningful. It has purpose behind it. It's meaningful. It has purpose behind it. If you don't have God in your life, 
Your suffering is completely random and pointless. But if you have a relationship with God and Jesus Christ, right, you can, you can trust that you, there's, there's a purpose behind your suffering. It's meaningful. It's, mean, it's working something out for you and in you. I love how Timothy Keller writes in his book, Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering, tremendous book. He says this, Christianity teaches that contra, contrary, is what that means, contra fatalism, suffering is overwhelming. Yeah, it is. Uh, contrary to Buddhism, suffering is real. It's very real. Contrary to karma, suffering is often unfair. It's, it is unfair. Yeah, it's very unfair. But contrary to secularism, suffering is meaningful. There's a purpose to it, and if faced rightly, it can drive us like a nail deep into the love of God and into more stability and spiritual power than you can imagine. It can drive you into the love of God. Now, it has the potential to pull you away too, right? People who suffer greatly do have that potential to walk away from Jesus. But I want to just say this. If, if, if you're considering, if you're in this room, come on, listen to me right now. If you're in this room and you're considering walking away from Jesus because of your suffering, I want to remind you that if you walk away with Jesus, you have nothing. You have nothing to make sense of your pain. You have nothing to make sense of your sorrow. You have no hope. You cannot ascribe you a hope in the future. You can't do that anymore. Mm-mm. Why? Because you don't have God in your life. So if you're thinking about telling Jesus to take a hike, I would let the pain drive you deeper into the heart of God. It, it doesn't mean it's going to make it easier. It doesn't mean that you're going to cry less. I, I wish it would. It does mean that God has a purpose, a meaning behind your suffering. He's got a plan for you. Listen, a quick theology of suffering. James chapter 1, James says, suffering produces perseverance. Peter, First Peter 1, he says this, trials test the genuineness of our faith. They test the genuineness of our faith. Paul says this, our suffering right now cannot be compared to the glory that will be revealed in us. Romans chapter 8. Earlier I said this to you. I said this, if you need to pray, we'll, we'll partner. We'd love to partner with you. But let me also say this today. If you're suffering all the more that we should pray with you. All the more that the people of God should gather around you, to love you, to encourage you, to hear you, to listen, to weep with you. Paul says to rejoice with those who are rejoicing, to weep with those who are weeping. We can't give you answers because we have not been given, we're not privy to that information, but we can give you hope. We can give you love. We can pray with you. We can help to carry that burden because that burden may feel like a thousand pounds, but if I come underneath it, if, if Ann comes underneath it, if Troy, and then we get a bunch of people, listen, pretty soon that thousand pounds gets lighter and lighter and lighter and lighter, and then you just have a little bit of weight that you're carrying. Why? Because all the people of God are carrying it together. We're carrying it together, right? And so I want you to be reminded this morning, listen, that God works and moves to the prayers of his people, right? He moves to the prayers of his people. The first church in Acts chapter 12, they didn't give up, they prayed. They didn't give up, they prayed. They didn't give up, they prayed. I want to remind you of that. I want to remind you this morning that God watches over his church and that his plans will prevail. Some of you will walk away from Jesus because Jesus said that himself. It's not me being a doomer and gloomer. But some of you will walk away from Jesus. But nevertheless, God will build his church and those gates of hell, well, they're not going to stop the church from reaching people who are lost. And finally, I want to remind you that God is sovereign over his people, even over his enemies. And sometimes we see God get justice right away, and sometimes we, we don't see it. We don't see it in this lifetime, right? We, we pray for justice, but we, we, we may not see it. We pray for justice speedily. We pray for justice now. You should. That's okay. Definitely should do that. Sometimes we don't see it. I want to remind you of those three things. And as we pray together, listen, I want to just encourage your heart, right? That God is with us. The Lord is in this place. He's looking out for his church. He has a plan for this church. He has a plan for you. Let's pray. 
Lord, we love you and we praise you today, God. And God, we thank you that you operate and work through our prayers. God, we thank you that you move or you watch over and you, um, uh, you establish the church, God, in the middle of trouble and turmoil. Your plan is to grow it. Your, your plan is for the church to thrive, God. God, remind us this morning that you're sovereign over creation. We don't understand. God, I don't understand why Kirk had to die. He was like the great, like just one of the best guys I knew. But Lord, I trust that you're good. You're good, God. You're good, God. In our suffering, you're with us, God. In our suffering, God, we know that we can look forward to our heavenly hope. And in our suffering, God, we know there's meaning. There's a purpose, God. We don't understand it right now. But someday, perhaps, just someday, on the other side of eternity, we'll see it. We'll see things clearly. Right now, we see through a glass dimly, but one day we'll be able to see. God, one day we'll see. And so our hope lies in our future, lies in the work that you're doing now in the church, God. Our hope lies in Jesus Christ. God, thank you for the work that you're doing in our hearts right now, that you're drawing men and women to you. You're drawing prodigals home right now. If you hear the voice of the Lord saying, come home, would you obey that voice? Don't harden your hearts. Do not harden your hearts. Today, listen, if you hear the voice of the Spirit saying, come home, stop sinning, stop being stupid. Listen, if you hear his voice, come home, come home. Come home. The spirit of the living God says, come home, son. Come home, daughter. What you're doing is reckless. You're going to ruin your life. Come home. I have great plans for you. Plans to prosper you. Plans to bless you. Plans for a future. Come home. If you hear the spirit of the living God speaking to you right now, come home. Come home. Fill out a connection card. Pray with our prayer team. Come home. Come home. I'm staying in this moment on purpose. Come home. In this room right now, there's, there's, there's someone, there's one, two, three, four people maybe. Come on, he's speaking right now. I feel so strongly in my spirit. He's saying, don't think about walking away. Just come home. Just come home. Spirit of the living God, would you soften hearts today that we might hear you and see you and welcome you, God. Welcome you. We welcome you, Lord Jesus. God, do the work that you can only do. We pray this in Jesus' name.